Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each week, I talk to treasurers about how they built their careers, where they are now, and where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going next. In this week's show, delighted to be joined by Chris Emsley, the Asian Regional Treasurer at General Mills, and what I would say is the first ever South African on the show. So, welcome. Looking forward to the Lions in a couple of years. Sorry, I had to drop in that rugby reference. We'll carry on. General Mills, as many people may know, an American multinational manufacturer and marketer of consumer foods sold across the world throughout their retail stores. So, some of the North American brands you might know, Cheerios, Old Paso, Betty Crocker, Blue Buffalo, wide range of uh, brands in the portfolio over 100 brands 100 countries right across the world they're actually headquartered in minneapolis minnesota usa but chris is obviously based down in asia so we'll go through that obviously chris is the asia regional treasurer but originally he's got a an experience well taking him around the globe so he started off in south africa and then moved around talk us through rather your career today and how you first got your break within finance from university and then then you found treasury you found the, the path as it were yeah hello mike thank you very much and it's always good to be the the first south african feather <laughs> in everybody's cap I think, yes. So my, my career started almost 20 years ago, straight out of university and then went into two articles and, and did my auditing route. So I spent four years there. And then, of course, the, the natural evolution into, into finance. I um, worked for one of my customers who wanted me to, to come and, and revolutionize what they were doing in, in finance and be their, their finance manager. So started in, in transports and trucking. We, we owned 40 trucks, great business to be in. And we distributed all the beer cans around the country in South Africa, a, a highly lucrative business. Then moved on to security, same sort of thing. IT, also all in finance. And then in a small little engineering company where I cut my teeth and, and learned a few things that, that you don't always learn in, in larger multinationals, um, especially in South Africa. It was then time for a change. So I then went to, to ABB and I ran their SAP implementation. So I basically was their conduit between business and the SAP team in implementing SAP at ABB in early 2008, which was quite different. It was also a great time for a break. And at that stage of my career, I'd got a little bit tired of, of finance and, and the month-end procedures and just the reconciliations and everything else that went with that, including um, financial year in closing and, and the auditors. So it was, a, it was a great break. It was a, a good two years of my career where I then spent just working out how to integrate this, the SAP system and how to build it and make sure that it was going to, to be the best that it could be, um, both for the business and for the team that was, that was implementing it. From that, I got approached by the, the CFO in country in South Africa who asked me to then come and look at his, his liquidity, his cash and his, his accounts receivable. Um, and to see if I could add some weight there and, and help them with their, their issues that they were having currently um, with lack of collections and, of course, lack of cash. That then led to the opportunity of, of where I started in Treasury, where we were then going to start the first Treasury organization in Africa based out of South Africa and looking upwards. In those days, what I knew about Treasury was, was probably what I could put in my, in my little pinky. It was a totally new experience and, and a little bit daunting considering the, the lack of experience. I think we spent a lot of time on, on planning on how we were going to roll it out, what we were going to look at, and, and how we were going to implement it. And essentially what I've now been doing at, at General Mills is in those days we had, a, we had a blank sheet of paper and we built it from the bottom up. We had no resources. We had the, 
the Zurich in-house bank, if you want to call it that, and a lot of opportunities to learn from the people in, on the ground in Zurich. But unfortunately, no structure in, in South Africa or Africa. A lot of the regulations prohibited us from, from dealing directly with Group and with Zurich. So it was a very difficult time and time that was, was spent on the ground, pretty much learning, reaching out to as many individuals as I could, um, and especially my bankers and the partners that we had on trying to learn how best to be a treasurer and how best treasury could work and how best it could integrate into, into the business. I think those, those early days were... Were a, were a great experience. They were something that we can, that I would always look back on and, and remember fondly because I think in those days, Treasury was, was far simpler. It was far easier to, to open bank accounts, interact with the bankers, deal with the regulators than what we have now. I think with um, KYC and all the regulatory changes that we've seen, I think Treasury has become a, a, a far more difficult beast to, to get your head around than it was in those early days. You're obviously a South African and you were then setting up the sort of treasury structure within South Africa. How key do you think that was being a native to the continent, to the country, first of all, but also the continent itself, to having those relationships or understanding how it worked? How do you know, because a lot of people have said to me, and I have a lot of actually South African clients and things, how different it is operating within South Africa and then operating with Africa as well. No, Mike. I think you. I think you. You're quite correct. I think you. You've hit the, hit the nail on the head there because it is extremely difficult to to find yourself in in South Africa and then Africa and then try and understand one the nuances to the people and then three the the regulatory landscape mm. because it is extremely difficult. It's not somewhere where you can you can go in integrate yourself and and just believe that things are going to happen. Unfortunately, in both South Africa and Africa, things take time. There's a huge bureaucracy that you need to overcome there's a huge regulatory burden that you need to overcome in order to be able to to facilitate the deals that you're looking for or even just to to facilitate the simple day-to-day movements of money whether it's coming from zurich or from europe or, or from the americas into africa it's extremely difficult i think having a knowledge of, of one the local markets and and being a local person i think it does make life far easier my two successes in in abb south africa were both foreign Tenzing was um, from Nepal, <laughs> and uh, the, the current treasurer is from is from Zurich. So it was a little bit more difficult for them to understand what was happening and, and how to get a handle on it. Because unfortunately, it is not just day-to-day business where you can get up in the morning and think, well, I'm going to do these 10 transactions today, and it's all going to just work. Because you're going to hit number two, and all of a sudden, the whole world's going to end. And you're going to be able to, you're going to have to reach out to your partners um, in order to facilitate the trade or the deal, um, just to make sure that things are much easier. And where does that come from? What, why is it so bureaucratic regulation there? Where does that come from? I've talked to a couple of guys about it before, but what's the history behind that, would you say? So I, I think it's, it's, it's quite simple. I think um, in the past, um, Africa has been undermined by corruption. I think there's many have used the opportunity to move money across borders, to move money out of countries that really shouldn't have happened. And I think that's where the regulators and the, the powers that be have then decided to enough is enough, that they've really put some stringent measures in place to, to stop that from happening. A lot of regulatory words around moving money cross-border, the limits that they set that you can't just take $10 million across and out of the country. It can only be a million dollars. 
because of the things that have happened in the past. And I, I think that's where people don't understand it. It's not like a transaction even now in China where you can move $50 million cross-border, no problems at all, as long as you have safe approval and everything's easy and all the paperwork has been done and the government's giving you the approval, it's, it's not a problem at all. I think in Africa, it, it really is still difficult there are mechanisms to for it to be facilitated and to be done, but I think it it's just it's just a hardship, and I yeah. think you need to be able to navigate quickly and easy, but it's not always possible. Is it improving? Would you say? You, you know, obviously, you start with that in a very strict line, and then you know, or is it you know stayed stayed static over the past few years? Once you've made yourself known to the to the regulators and they've seen that you're above board and, and your documentation flow is is easy, things start to open up and all of a sudden things start moving far quicker. It takes a little bit of time to get to that point. It's not something where you can you can click your fingers and all of a sudden it will be done. But once they know that you're above board, they see what's happening. And then of course the regulator and the tax authorities got quite cozy and got quite close together as well to to facilitate open trade. Remember it is still a, a growing market. It is still the place to do business because there's a lot of opportunity in, in Africa. Um, I think it needs to be done. But once you move out of Southern Africa, I mean, you get to, to deeper, darkest Africa, then it becomes even more of a mm. more of a problem as well. And that's that's still where where I would say South Africa was probably 15 years ago. Right. So it's catching up sort of thing. But you were there for within that role for sort of three years before making a move out of the country. What what happened? They said, right, that's it. You've had, we've had enough of you here. Off you go. More like my wife said, she's moving to Singapore. Um, are you coming right. or not? So I think that was the, <laughs> that was the catalyst. <laughs> that was the, the perfect catalyst, and it was a, it was a great opportunity to to look across the border and and see what else was was out in the world. It was our first forage into a, a foreign country. Lucky for us, it, it happened to be Singapore. I think the opportunity came. My my boss then in Dubai had moved to Hong Kong. Gave me a call and said, I, I believe you're looking for a job. Can I help? And I said, Yes, I'd love a treasury job in in Asia. And he said, Well, I've got one for you. In, in Singapore, when can you start? <laughs> so it, it took a few months. I, I traveled for, for seven months backwards and forwards between Singapore and, and South Africa, working those 18-hour days in, in both countries to make sure that we were, we were covering everything, why, why the powers that be decided exactly how it fits in. And then in 2015, on the 1st of January, starts in Singapore with a new ambit, a whole new challenge in Asia, in markets that I really knew very little about and had to start all over again right from the, the culture briefing on, on how to speak to people and how to act, and then to understanding the, the regulatory landscape and, and how everything else in, in Treasury worked. And then, of course, finding new partners that would then help me and guide me on my journey as we, as we move forward. So you've been from that South African developing region, Singapore far more advanced in, in many ways, but very culturally different. You know, you talk about the cultural fitting in of things. How did they compare and contrast between the two, would you say, in that move? So I think between Africa and Asia, there, there are many similarities. I think there's, from an emerging market point of view, I think the regulatory landscape and the, the issues and the problems on the table are, are very much the same. I think if you look at places like Singapore and Hong Kong, I think it's far easier to integrate yourself in. You've, you've got 264 banking institutions sitting just in Singapore alone. So you really do have the, the backing and the, the partnership that you need, but not always easy to integrate one on a, on a staff level. Um, two, on a business level, when you're dealing with people within your own organization, because one, you're a foreigner, 
they don't necessarily trust what you have to say. And it takes a little bit of time to, to build up that trust in that relationship where when you speak, they listen. Um, and when you give them advice and, and better business advice, they really start to understand. And they know that you only have the, the best interests of the business at heart, that they will then take that advice and act on the advice that, you, that you're looking for. I think a, a model that I, I looked at, we were always wanting to be as treasurers. We wanted to be a business partner with a value add. I think that was very important to us. And, and that was the crux of what we were trying to, to sell. Because remember, we were, we were selling, we were a function, we were almost like a bank to say, well, guys, we're here, we're here to add value. We really want to be your business partner. And this is how we're going to go about it. So those first six to nine months were very much training, educating, teaching people just exactly what treasury is, because many people don't know exactly what a treasury function is. They think, oh, well, we open bank accounts and we, and we do a little bit of Forex on the side. I'm not quite understanding the, the intricacies and how much more involved in the business we are. Mm. So I think that was the challenge to overcome was to set ourselves up that the business partner knew exactly what we were. They understood that we were coming to, to add that value and really try and grow the business from the bottom up as well. And we were sitting side by side. If they failed, we failed. If we couldn't get them a good deal, there was a problem and we, we failed together. But if we succeeded or we got something right, we made a big cost saving, I think then we started to see things happening. And I think that was started to come about in probably the first 12 to 15 months where they really started to see that, that real good value add. And how did you get that? How did you, you know, you talk about some of the process and what were the things that you did for them that brought them into you? I mean, there was the education process. You've gone through that, oh, this is what Treasury does. But, you know, at the end of the day, so what? You know, was it pure cash saving, making their lives a lot easier? Or how, what happened then? Yeah, so I think that the, the first thing was perseverance. I think that um, every every treasurer needs needs perseverance just to, to keep pushing that and pushing it and pushing it. But I think for us, it was the, the, the simple part. So first, from the training and the education, showing them exactly how a bad transaction or a bad forex deal or a bad deal in whole would affect them and how much money it would cost them. Um, we spent a lot of time on their historical data, showing them exactly how much money they had lost on deals by not doing the correct treasury things. And by things, I mean on the bank side with the cash, moving the cash, whether we needed to get cash to facilitate the deal, two, by hedging the deal correctly, and then three, choosing the correct hedging mechanism, because in many instances, we chose a swap where we should have just done a spot or we looked at forwards and the periods were all wrong because they unfortunately got the contract milestones incorrect. So just showing that. And the more we started to show them the movements on the bottom line, the more they started to come to us right at the beginning before they made any decisions on their deals to then be able to facilitate, go to our partners, get the best structures and, and look at the best outcome that they could see. And we were started this way back in, even when I was in South Africa at ABB, where we really became an integral part of the team. I always used to laugh, it used to be the business person, the lawyer, and of course the treasurer. And we used to be that tripartite now trying to facilitate these deals. And I brought that mentality across to, to Asia as well to make sure that we had that tripartite. The lawyer was sitting there, the treasurer was sitting there, and we were making good business deals together to then facilitate better business in the future. And then you were there, what, two and a half years? Three years, yeah. Three years. Three years at um, ABB in Singapore, correct. Right. How come a move or what had happened you know, to facilitate that? Had you just outgrown the role or what? where had you got to? It was that time. I think with, with anything, I think 10 years was a, 
was always my ultimate number. Um, I would have liked to go much further. I think at that stage in the organization, there were a lot of changes. There were a lot of changes on the ground in the business model and, and where, where ABB was going. And I think that coupled with my boss then took the big job in, in Zurich and he then moved from Hong Kong out to, to Zurich and I was reporting back into Dubai. I, it was time for a change and I, I think it was, um, it was a good opportunity to then explore my options in, in the landscape in, in Asia and see what else was out there and then to see what opportunities and where I could add value. Um, and I think that's always important to me is, is to be able to add value and really be an integral part of any team that I go to. Um, I feel that's that's quite important to me. Um, it's quite important from a from a growth perspective. And I always want to be busy. I, I don't like to be bored or, or coming into the office where you, you're not adding any value. Um, I always want to be involved in every everything that's happening. And it was a great opportunity for for that change. General Mills, tell us about the group. I mean, I I alluded at the top of the program to sort of some of the products, the Cheerios, the Betty Crocker and stuff like that. You know, some of the listeners will have heard of the group. Some will just general who. Yeah. You know, so maybe maybe explain if you would. Funny story. When I when I went for my interview at General Mills, I had to do exactly what you did. I had to go and see exactly what General Mills did, oh, wow. uh, what their products were, how they how they fitted into to the world, and how I could, of course, add value to that. Little did I know that um, General Mills in in their heyday was into far more than just food. They were into golf apparel. They were into many different things. So it was quite a, a change and, and quite a steep learning curve on on trying to move from from power and infrastructure into. Um, into consumable foods. I think to me, it was it was one in the product base. Two, the economies of scale are, are much smaller. And for those listeners who, who don't know General Mills, so yes, we, we do the Cheerios and we do the Betty Crockers. We have great cake mixes. We do cookies. But um, we've also got Nature Valley bars and we're very much into to healthy eating. We have all things to, to make your life much easier. We've got waffles that can be put in your microwave and, and cooked in, in 20 seconds. But I think in Asia, it, it was always an interesting one is that we, we've got Hagenos ice cream, which is our premium brand. We've got something called Wang Chai Ferry, which if you, you're ever in Asia and you, you're looking for a quick dumpling, it's definitely the product to, to go through. Um, and then looking at things like Pillsbury dough, Betty Crocker cake mixes and that, which I think are, are really big products for us. So it was something that I, I needed to learn. It was some of the products that I'd, I'd never tried before. I'd, unfortunately, I'm from South Africa, so I'd never tried Cheerios before. Didn't really know much about haagen ice cream. We always went for the cheaper brand. <laughs> a lot of those, so a lot of those brands actually came out of Diageo back in the day. You know, what was the structure of the treasuries? Because you know, Diageo, you know, originally based in the UK, had quite a, an advanced Pillsbury dough. I know it was you know sort of quite a, so perhaps a slick treasury as it were. But how was it when you were integrating with those guys, or you know, how did it, how was it structured? Yeah, I think in the, in the early days, it was it was very simple. I think, you know, most of the companies had their, their own in-house treasury departments. And, and, and I wouldn't call it a very big treasury department. So I think they were, they were very small and they were doing the day-to-day treasury management stuff that they really needed to do. I think when a lot of that all came to, together, there was a big focus on, on building the treasury in, in the U.S. It was very important to them to make sure that they got their, their ducks in a row there. And I think there was a lot of time spent on, on building the treasury organization within General Mills in the U.S., once that had happened, I think the, the next smart move was then to build the treasury organization in, in Europe. And that started probably about five years ago. 
and they've just been on a journey now where I probably think they're probably about 5% from, from having a perfect treasury organization in Europe. And so the US has built, Europe has built, we're now on our, on our Asia journey where we're 18 months in, trying to replicate, and not always possible, but trying to replicate exactly what happens in Europe and then what happens in the US, but always having that back pedal all the way back to the US where most of our standards and everything comes out of. And the last piece of the puzzle is where we're about to move into to LATAM to, to complete the circle and um, have a treasury center in, in each of the major markets in, in the world. And with your market, you oversee 11, 11 markets or 11 countries, or how are you structured? And, you know, what are the difference? Everyone talks always about the differences. I was talking to one of our listeners recently. She's Chinese. She's based in China, talking about some of the things there. But she was saying, but when I deal with Thailand, Mike, it's totally different to deal with Taiwan and, you know, different country she was dealing with but also we then talked about what were also the similarities so you know what 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 are the not pros and cons is the wrong way to say it but actually what are the what are the differences what would you say are some of the similarities of it as well yeah so i think you know most of the markets in in asia are, are very they're similar so and and let me let me put a caveat on to that so yeah. i think most of them have got the same issues so most of them are have liquidity troubles most of them have got cash flow issues most of them are doing the wrong things at the wrong time um, and it, it just compounds so or not doing the right things at the correct time and I think that's where the, the similarities are I think where the differences are is that the regulations are so different um, I think the challenges in each environment whether it be political whether it be something else just on, on the volatility of their markets that's where the that's where the, the game changes a little bit and I, I think your, your listener was quite correct you know if I'm having a, a discussion with China, it's very different to having a discussion with, with Thailand because one, the economies of scale are, in China are so much bigger. Um, the regulators are, are really on what's happening there and, and how things should work. You really want, need to also understand the language and the nuances that go on with, with that and the body languages and, and people speaking to you only in Mandarin um, and not in English. Um, that you need to really, you need to be a little bit more on your game and you need to trust your partners a little bit more, both internally and externally because that's your conduit in so you need to understand and listen to what they're saying and really make a make an effort to to get on top of what things are and also do a little bit of homework before you you start putting things out there or, or speaking without having the the complete set of facts if you're moving in thailand of course thailand's a little bit more relaxed still have their regulations and that but it's sometimes a little bit far easier to to facilitate one they also speak english which does which does help in the in the greater scheme of things when when my second language is only afrikaans and it's only spoken by by nine million people in the world, it doesn't really help when you when you can't speak Mandarin. So that's something I think is is quite important. But I think you the, the best thing is you you one you need to educate yourself. Two, you need to involve those third parties in order to to facilitate good business. And three, you need to trust the people that you you're liaising with to make sure that you are getting the the best of the best of all decisions and the best of all information. And how are you structured as a treasury team? And this leads into, you know, your people management style and things like that. So, you know, how we how are you structured? We spoke just before the show. You just said you recently recruited. Yeah. What's that been like? We'll come on to what you're like as a boss, you know, because obviously you're perfect. <laughs> yeah, we know. But move on. But give us, give us an overview. Yeah, so I think running in Asia, we're, we're very lean and mean. I mean, that was the that was the whole way that we were going to set it up. So mm -hmm. before we recruited Yoit on board now, we had a treasurer sitting in India. 
basically looks after India, and we had a treasury person sitting in China. Unfortunately, both these individuals were not necessarily just 100% treasury on a day-to-day basis. So they were wearing other hats as well. So it was quite difficult to say, well, guys, oh, we've all of a sudden got a treasury team and we're looking and we were in China, we we're in Singapore, and we we're in India. So what was happening in the organization is a lot of the treasury tasks were falling upon the financial people. And for those out there who are financial people, treasury is normally at the bottom of their list. They first want to get the numbers out. They want to make sure the profit's there, the revenues are up, and that treasury was never a real focus. And I think over time, a lot of things fell through the cracks. So I think in the first six months that I arrived at General Mills, it was a lot of time getting in there, seeing what was what, and then centralizing that base straight out of Singapore, that we made all treasury decisions from a central base sitting in Singapore, and that anything, whether it was with regards to the banks or guarantees or loans, or even opening and closing a bank account, those decisions came through Singapore. We made the correct decisions, got the correct information, and then fed that back into the business. And what we could do on shore here in Singapore, we did. Now having um, Yoey on board now, we've got, a, we've got an extra set of hands and we can, we can do far more. I think as we, we go on our journey now, we've, we've just issued a, a cash RFP and, and awarded that to, to three banks in the region and totally changed our banking landscape. And all of a sudden, that's now going to give far more power back to the business. But it's also going to give far more power back to the, the treasury centers sitting in Singapore. And of course, our regional hub, which sits in Singapore, where they'll now have far more access to information, which they never had before, and also give them far more information to make better business decisions as we are uh, a central hub based here in, in Singapore for General Mills. And when you were recruiting that role and recruiting that person, what was it were you seeking? Were you seeking someone that had a knowledge of the region, a bit like yourself when you were back in South Africa, or were you just looking for the best treasury person, or was it qualifications, or what were the standout features for you when you were going through that campaign? Yeah, so, Mike, I think there's there's no shortage of, of talents in, in Asia at the moment when, when you're recruiting. So I think, you know, we were, we were inundated with, with CVs from, from a vast array of candidates. So many from the banking industry who were looking to make a change, uh, many treasurers who were, who were looking to get into, into a different organization. So I think our criteria was very simple. We were, we were looking for somebody that was hands-on who had a little bit of experience doing cash management, driving treasury and driving procedures, who was also willing to get their hands dirty to really do the nitty gritty and and build from where we were, but also somebody that we could grow and we could groom and we could really build into, into a good successor or use the opportunity to move them into a different market, whether it be China, whether it be India, or, or maybe even back to Hong Kong, and we could use a, a secondary hub. And I think those were the keys that we were looking for. We were looking for somebody that was, was young, highly motivated, but also could work alone, could do the things and, and definitely didn't need to be mollycoddled um, at every single turn. I was on a, I think the word is micromanaged, if you want to look at that. Most bosses are micromanagers and we, we like to take control. And for me as well, it, it's very difficult losing that control because I think, you know, somebody comes on board and all of a sudden, well, oh, I don't have to do that. So oh, let me give it to somebody else. And how quickly you, you relinquish that, that power that you have. So that's where we were going. So we were looking for a well-rounded individual who had some experience, had a little bit of a, a CV that could be built on, and then somebody that we could then grow and really expand within the role as we as Treasury grow in the region and, of course, as it grows in the, in the global organization as well. So, Chris, 
Just talking there about looking at the role itself, it seems you have a greater focus than maybe some treasurers do on things such as trade, export finance, supply chain, rather than just being product focused and shifting you know, boxes of cereal and everything else. It sounds like you're much more involved in the business than perhaps some other treasurers get involved. Is that correct? Yes, Mike. I think yeah. I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think from from our point of view, because our our treasury is so new and it's it's in its infancy, that we've really tried to to put ourselves in every aspect of the business. We were instrumental in in rolling out supply chain in the region when we looked at that in 2017, 2018. And we've really tried to, to integrate ourselves into every facet of the business. We're heavily involved in the in the working capital, looking at the DPO, looking at the DSO, really trying to get down and, and help business understand what is going on. So to me, it's a great opportunity because it's something where you can you can really get your teeth into it. You've really got those opportunities to expand your knowledge base as well. And especially coming into a, into a new organization, a new environment, it's it's a great way to learn the business. And as I as I say to, to Yori as well, it's a, it's a great time now to really get your hands dirty and, and understand the mechanisms that are happening. And especially in Asia where the business is growing, we're really seeing some, some good growth opportunities in our markets and, and things are happening constantly. There, there's no dull period at the moment, whether we, we're looking at new financing, whether we look at new facilities that are needed, whether we're looking at hedging or anything that goes with it, we really are at the, at the cutting edge and at the forefront of, of that decision-making process at the moment. And where do you see it then? You know, it leads us very neatly into the future. Where do you see Treasury, not only regionally, but maybe even globally, you know, developing from here? What do you see as the the future things coming down the line sort of thing in the next two to three, five years sort of thing? Yeah, so I think for for us, you know, we're on a we're on a three year strategy at the moment. We're we're into eighteen months. Um, I think for us, the the sky's the limit. We're at that that foundation at the moment. We're on we're on block one. Um, I think to this now, we will then add a, a treasury management system. We will then add a, a whole new forex product so that we can then, as a global treasury unit now, start following the sun. Um, so the Asian market will be the first eight hours and it'll constantly shift all the way back until the US opens on that as well. And then, you know, workflows, really getting things out to make things better. Um, I had a conversation with our treasury in, in Europe the other day who's, who's really considering the, the idea of an in-house bank. Um, and I think that's a, a great opportunity. Having come from ABB and, and seen it work um, and based in, in Zurich, you know, there the, really is some great opportunity to, to be able to explore those options and then, of course, build everything in. Um, and I think, you know, as the business grows and as the business diversifies as well, I think there's, there's other avenues to explore. We really haven't even looked at any acquisitions or anything in, in Asia at the moment. It's pretty much only been in the U.S. markets. Um, I think we're, we're going to see this is just the, the tip of the iceberg at the moment as we, as we continue our journey. I won't say start our journey. I'll say continue our, our treasury journey in the region. And, you know, planning for those challenges yourself in your career, you know, what what are you doing to sort of upskill yourself? What are you focusing on? Obviously, you're a busy man. You've got all, all stuff going on. But, you know, how are you thinking, right, this is what I need to do? Because I noticed that you speak at a number of the conferences. You're out there learning the new ideas. And, you know, we often encourage people to sort of try and not just be inwardly focused on their region and everything else. But you do a number of other things and moderate involved in the local treasurers or ACT and things. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's correct. I think Mike, the, the biggest thing there is, I think, is to is to stay relevant. <laughs> I think it's it's always an important thing. I think you know, so many treasurers find themselves sometimes size shifted or. The, the treasury doesn't isn't relevant within the organization at the moment. And I think that's the, the biggest thing is, is to keep motivated as and is to continue to self-improve. I think that's very important. And that's one of the things, you know, to me, my first step when I got to, to Singapore was to network and to try and meet as many people as I could. We did that through the conferences or using opportunity using ACTS as a, as a great springboard to, to introduce yourself to other treasurers and to continue to learn because everybody's got new ideas. And I think, you know, the more that we continue to speak to one another and the, as we continue to share ideas, it's a great opportunity for that growth that you can then keep expanding your knowledge base because unfortunately, you know, treasurers will tell you that they know everything, but we don't. We're really always trying to learn from people as much as we can so that we can stay relevant and keep adding that extra for the business so that we can keep saying, but guys, what about this? Or we've just heard this great story now. How can we then use this in our, in our own environment and in our own work challenges to be able to, to get to the next level? And I think that's very important is, is not to just sit around and think, well, you know, yes, things are changing and I don't want to change because it's, or maybe it's a little bit too quick or it's a little bit too slow. I think you always need to be, to be rebuilding yourself and reshaping yourself that you can continue to adapt. I heard a story the other day that in 10 years time, all treasures will have disappeared because it will be taken over by AI. Oh God. <laughs> don't start me on that. And to me, that, that, that's a that, that's a non-starter. I think you know that there's so much more that the treasure will evolve. I think we've all seen treasure yeah. evolve over the last 10, 15 years. The, the new age treasure will evolve. Yes, so somebody will be doing all the the back end crunching of numbers and all that data, but somebody needs to read it. Somebody needs to get out of it. Somebody needs to put it out to business and and really have a look at it and give them the best solutions or the best ideas. Maybe in a limited format, but. Treasurers will evolve, and, and we have been over the last few years, and, and I'll continue to see that in the future, and you and I will have the same conversation in the next 10 years, and, and all that will have changed is, is some of the topics of conversation and how we've seen things shift a little bit, or how our job focus has, has changed from where it is to, to where it is then, and we'll, we'll take it like that, and we'll say, well, yes, we've evolved and we've changed, but things have still stayed the same. And the fact is that you know, this is, this will probably be by the time it's published about our 40th podcast that we've put out there. And one of the key things I've noticed, and I would summarize it and very accurately, as you said there, is that you're not going to be uh, retired in 10 years, you know, put out to pasture, as it were. I think that, you know, treasurers are frontiersmen, as it were, and women. You're at the forefront of a lot of the technology and a lot of the things that are coming through that all these different things come in, blockchain, crypto, everything, all AI and all this. But you're in some ways very much a buffer for the CFO that this technology comes to you. They're asking you to filter it and say, right, which of these bits are you going to filter through to me and are going to be a value to our company? And, you know, a lot of, you know, I talked to Royston DeCosta the other day. He's very technology focused, but he was also talking about the adding, you know, the added value of it and everything else. And I think that's that's the key thing when people are talking about the AI and, and the other stuff that, you know, you guys are the filter and you know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, Mike, for, for me, the, the treasurer is the, he's the ultimate employee because he's involved in every facet of the business. Mm. He gets involved in every decision-making process that happens. He's adding some values, adding that extra information. He's also trying to look at things as, as costs and as, and as long-based 
or long-term outcomes, if you want to call it that, and he's, he's always involved. So to me, there's always going to be that need. So the Treasury has evolved from being a number cruncher where we, we did trades and we did everything else. We opened the bank accounts to really now being an integral part of any organization, um, whether he sits on a board or whether he's just making decisions that are helping the CFO make better business decisions for each of the, the individual parties that are needed. But, you know, somebody said to me, you know, treasurers would always make great CEOs because yeah. they, they've, they've been there, they've seen it, they've done it, and they can really add some value to any organization because they've been through all the, the tough times, if you want to call it that. Yeah, and they've got that outward focus as well. Correct. Um, as we round, you know, round up today's show, again, as always, Chris has given permission, and if you want to connect with him, his LinkedIn profile will be within the show notes. But what I just wanted to do, if someone does go on there, they look at your LinkedIn profile, they say, actually, I want a treasury career that is like Chris's, you know, that's perhaps taken me from South Africa or wherever you might be to then Asia and then where, who knows where next. If someone is looking at that and there was a key to success or one thing that you've drawn out when we spoke to Mark at Johnson Controls about perseverance and just going for it every opportunity for you, just to summarize today and as we wrap up, what would you say is your key to success as it were? Yeah, so I think Mike there, it's it's very simple. I think it's it's self-belief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's motivation in oneself and, and always having the belief that there's always something better and that you can do better. Um, I use the word perseverance very, very early on in, in the, the podcast today. And I think that's very important as well. We've all been through those opportunities where you, you keep getting stopped at these, these certain doors where you really want to open it and it just keeps closing. And I think that's the, the opportunity where you really got to keep knocking and, and, and see where it can take you. So many times in my life, people have said, well, you can't do that. That's not for you or that's not something where you can go. To me, that's not something that that really impeded me. It just made me more focused on, on where I wanted to get to. For me, Treasury and, and how it all came and, and the great growth that, I, that I've had in Treasury was very much by, by luck and I was in the right place at the right time, which is great. But I also managed to stay there, move out of South Africa into Asia and then continue to build the Treasury career. The more I enhanced my, my knowledge base in that as well. So I think to, to everyone out there, I think it is. It's, it's a learning um, it's something that you can you can continue to educate yourself. You can continue to build yourself, and there's always opportunities, and there's always people that are looking to have those opportunities and to, to give people those opportunities. If we want to say that, brilliant. Well, amazing. Thank you for today's show, Chris. All that remains, you know, bar the thank you for that, is say. Good luck in the World Cup later on this year, the Rugby World Cup. We'll be looking forward to, uh, I'm sure there'll be some choice emails uh, exchanged between the two of us. But anyway, we look forward to September moving on. Uh, But no, great show. Thank you very much, Chris. I think the the listeners are going to get a lot from that. And uh, if you want to connect with him, he's there. We'll put it in the show notes. And fantastic. Thanks very much. Oh, thank you, Mike. And thank you for your time. Perfect. Thanks very much. 